How are we doing today? I welcome to Friendship Weekend, and as you know, I try to bring uh, one of my teammates or uh, a current Steeler every year for Friendship Weekend, and this year I'm really excited. I mean, I am really jacked up, and I was telling the guys uh, uh, last night at the uh, 6 o'clock service that the reason I'm so jacked is because uh, Donnie Shell has had a tremendous impact on my life, and we were teammates for eight years, and, and Donnie played for the Steelers for 14 years. He played for all four Super Bowls in the 70s. He went to five Pro Bowls. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He has more. Yeah, give it up for that. That's great. As a matter of fact, Wolf and I are, are pushing, are, are doing the Donnie Shell for Hall of Fame campaign. Uh, and... Um, and he's got more interceptions than any strong safety in the history of the National Football League. But what made Donnie so great was he was the human torpedo. He would hit anything that moved, uh, whether it had an opponent's jersey on and sometimes friendly fire. And as, as a matter of fact, the first time I watched Donnie hit someone in real life, it was my roommate, Craig Wolfley, and we were rookies, right? We were just so in awe of these guys, and well, there's Donnie Shell. And so uh, Wolf is playing left guard, and they're running a flow 38. He pulls out, and Donnie's a strong safety. He's got to block the strong safety, and Wolf comes around the corner thinking, he's a little guy. I should be able to take him out. And, uh, and, and Donnie exploded into him. I mean, he hit him with his face right in Wolf's chin. And uh, as a matter of fact, he was hit so hard that the sound was paya. That's what it sounded like. And, and to Wolf, it's the, the sound went in one ear and came out the other ear. It's kind of like the Doppler effect. And, uh, and, and, and as you looked at Wolf coming back, he was staggering back to the huddle. The, his face mask was over here, and he was looking out his ear hole. And, 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 he, and all the breath was out of his body. He kept going, uh, uh, uh. And I said, you're all right? He goes, uh. He hits a little harder than I thought. And he said, if you block Donnie, you better buckle up. And uh, see, the beauty of Donnie was he always lined himself for impact. And not just as a football player, but as a man of God. And, uh, you know, uh, one of my new favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And, uh, and that's the way Donnie Shell lived his life. He positioned himself for impact. And by the way, shameless plug for our men's retreat in March, uh, March 10th through 12th, that is the theme of our men's retreat. It is aligning men for impact. Because God didn't call us to just be saved and live this Christian life. He called us to impact the lives of other men. And uh, before we bring Donnie up, I want to show you a little video of, uh, uh, of the kind of football player he was. Let's take a look at Donnie Shell.
please welcome my brother, Donnie Shell. So it's cool watching those highlights. And as you're watching yourself up there, um, what's going through your mind? Well, my friend Bill Stern just asked me, he said, can you run that fast now? I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the excitement of playing ball, the competitiveness of it, and uh, just being competitive and uh, giving all you, ha you have when you're on the football field. You know what it seems like to me, and we've been buddies for 37 years, that um, people most remember you for that hit on Earl Campbell. Right? Anybody remember that hit? Yeah, how about it? i tell you what. And you broke three of his ribs? Uh, I think so. Yeah, you broke three ribs. And uh, you hit him even harder than you hit Wolf our first day of pads in, in training camp a rookie year. Now, he was having a big game in the first half. About 80 yards. And I'd like to clarify something, too. I, after I hit him, I did, since we in church, I did pray for him. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you did. You stood over him and, and you said... Gee, Earl, that looks like it hurts. I'm, I'm praying for you. Yeah, and I hope you'll be all right uh, the next game. I hope you're good the next game. Um, you know, it, it's how many touchdowns did you have in your career? I, I, I don't remember. Oh, come on. I don't. You don't I remember? Don't, I, don't, I don't know that stat. In, in, in the NFL, you don't know how many touchdowns no. you score? Now, I saw three. I think there was three on that video or two. I, I know I remember scoring one against Cincinnati on Monday night, and my, uh -huh. my wife fell off the couch. Just, uh -huh. you, never, you never score a touchdown. You're always hitting people. And how many? Did, 51 interceptions in your career? That's correct. That's correct. All right. I, I knew some, some of that. Um, you know, uh, you had a great career, Donnie, and uh, as, as you look back on it, what was the best thing about your Steeler experience? Well, that's the Steelers organization. When you uh, plan for the Steelers, you plan for a family. Uh, Mr. Rooney, the chief, as we affectionately call him, made you feel a part of that particular family. Uh, he would read something about you and know something about you and where you were from and your family and your background. So he made you welcome. And also he had a spirit of, of, of community. Uh, he went out and talked to people in the community and uh, he was one owner that uh, never had a, I never seen an owner without a, a security people around him. But he walked from his um, from his neighborhood on the north side to the stadium with with no security. So uh, he set a great example for us. And he was such a such a uh, a humble man. He was one of the most humble men I think I've ever met. And you know, as an owner, he'd walk past you, and, and like Donnie said, he'd know something about everybody. So he knew I was born in Turkey, and every time he'd walk by me, he'd say, "Touch my boy." Are things in Turkey? Are they still killing each other over there? <laughs> Just like Ireland. And, uh, but he, he, he had that way. And, 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 and that had an effect, you know, his kind of humility and servant leadership and, and, and the ambassador, Dan Rooney, the same way. That had an effect on, on the team, didn't it? Oh, well, our question, we, we always do things in the community, speaking to young people at, at schools and out in the community and doing different things. And it was because of, I saw that, uh, that image of him being out there. And I said, well, if the owner can go out there, surely I can give something back to help other people. Now, you know, you had so many great memories. Four, you've won four Super Bowls. What was, the, what was the memory that stands out most? When you think, you know, when you sit back or when you talk to the guys, uh, yeah, I know you're really close still with John Stallworth and you talk about, you, you talk about the old times. What, what is the, the story that kind of brings the most fondness, fondness uh, uh, to you? You know, it's, 
it's not a story, but it's just about the relationship that we had as, uh, as a team. Uh, we were really a truly a team, and uh, we spent time on the football field in practice and film study, but we spent time off the field. Uh, during Thanksgiving, we would invite our family up and bring our kids over. Everybody would bring something for dinner. Uh, and we had a great time. After games, someone would have a, a, a dinner and a cookout and invite you over. So the camaraderie, uh, I think, is uh, very important. How much did that feed into your success? Now, you had great players. You, you can't win without great players. But, it, but how much did the camaraderie feed into what you guys became as a team? I think it does. I think what, what Mr. Rooney did uh, in greeting you and knowing your name and knowing something about you, feeding to that particular success. Um, and because they cared about you more than just being an athlete. Uh, and, uh, they cared about you as being a person. And you saw that. And to be successful in the National Football League, uh, I think you got to show players that you care about them other than them being on the football field. When you get involved with their families and get involved with them and, and show them that you care about them, you get more out of them than you w normally would. You know, it's kind of funny that you, uh, you talk about that because um, I experienced that from you. I, I remember I was a, uh, it was my, my, my first start in the NFL, and it was uh, uh, in 19, I was a young believer, and I had a torn rotator cuff. And you and, and, and John Stallworth came into my room the night before the game, and I'm kind of freaking out, going, how am I going to play tomorrow? I can't even lift up my arm. Uh, and that you and John came in, and you prayed for me. And, I, and, I, and I'll never forget that. It, it had such a powerful uh, uh, effect on me that you guys would come in, you know, lay hands on me, pray for me, and, uh, and, just, and it was just such an encouragement. I mean, that was just such a neat deal. Yeah, I think you got to show people that you care about them more than just like you being an athlete and being on our team. Uh, when somebody is hurting, you got to show them love. And I think that's what Jesus did. Uh, when he saw the lady by the well, you know, he, he, he reached out to her. Although she was Samaritan, but he reached out to her. And when he saw the 5,000, you know, he, he, uh, he fed them. Uh, love is action. Yeah, and and that team was full of them. And uh, you know, the what was your most memorable Super Bowl? Had to be the first one. And uh, the Steelers hadn't won anything in forty years. And Mr. Rooney had suffered through, and just to see him horse that trophy down in New Orleans, uh, it was a thrill. And he, he did it with no fanfare. He just kind of gently raised it up. Uh -huh. And, and uh, but to see a smile on his face, you know, uh, he was proud. You know, it was such a uh, that was such a an. an Tense football team, and you guys uh, played well together. You loved one another, but there was an intensity. I know this. You've gotten this question a lot, and you know I get it as well. As a football player who loves Jesus, how do you reconcile the violence of the game with uh, your love uh, for Jesus? Well, I think Jesus created everybody—the uh, uh, man and woman and all, all people—and He gave. Everybody gifts and talents. Everybody in here has a gift and a talent. Uh, and he wants to use that gift and ta those talents for his glory. And I just, it happened to be in football for me. Uh, he wants to play within the rules, of course. Right. I never played without the no, rules. No, no, always by the rules. <laughs> but he wants to use that gifts and talents and play as hard as we can and do it, do it 100%. And um, I shared this story uh, about a, a person that's a wild horse and, uh, and he was, had a, a trainer 
and no one can train him but this one trainer, and he domesticated him. He made him domesticated. But he didn't take any strength. He didn't take any power. He didn't take any of his will away. Uh, he was just under his control. Yeah. And that's, that's what God uh, does for us. Strength under control. Strength under control. That's a great. And, and uh, you needed to play with control and with strength when you played. You know, I asked you yesterday, who was the biggest rivalry? And you were talking about the Oakland Raiders. The Oakland Raiders, of course. They, they, they were um, our, our biggest rivalry. I remember uh, playing them, uh, I think, my rookie year um, in, in Pittsburgh. And uh, they had some of the biggest offensive linemen uh, back then uh, on the, in the National Football League. But they were just so competitive, and we were so competitive, and um, it was just a great rivalry. We went after each other pretty good. Who's the toughest guy you ever played against, would you say? Toughest, meanest? Nastiest? Uh, <laughs> Probably Earl Campbell. Earl. <laughs> yeah, Earl, tell, what made Earl so good? Well, he was a great guy. He was a great athlete. And I'll share this story with you, and you get a sense of how, how strong he was. I met him in the Pro Bowl. We made the Pro Bowl together in 1983. And then we came back to Houston. We was playing him down in Houston. And he happened to kind of wander over to our locker room. And so Mel Blanc was sitting there, and I was talking to him. He said, hey, Donnie, how you doing? How's your wife, your family? I said, hey, Earl, how you doing? But you know, he was half-dressed. And he had these big old thighs about that big. And, and Mel was over here looking back. We was like, we was talking. I was talking to Earl. And Mel kept doing this and that, up and down. And afterwards, you know, he left. And I said, well, Mel, wh- wh- what were you looking at? He said, I was trying to find a soft spot. I couldn't find one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of weird. You, 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 you develop this animosity for players, and then you meet them at the Pro Bowl, and they're like good guys. That, that's kind of a crazy dynamic, isn't it? Uh, off-season, non-competitive. We're on the same team, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, talk about uh, growing up a little bit. You, you, uh, you love sports, uh, and you were good at all of them. Yeah, I was born in uh, Whitmire, South Carolina, a small town uh, near Columbia, South Carolina, and... Um, not very much to do, so you, um, you got involved with sports or you got in trouble. So I decided to get involved in sports at an early age. I played football, baseball, basketball, and ran track. And, um, and, and loved it there. Um, didn't know how I was going to get to college, but my high school coach uh, would take me home and, um, and sow seeds of encouragement me by telling me I can be whatever I wanted to be. Uh, and end up getting a scholarship to go to South Carolina State University and, uh, on the baseball and football scholarship. There's, there's nothing like words of affirmation. You know, when uh, you know, we, we read about Barnabas, he was the son of encouragement, and that's what that name, uh, that name means. And, and how that word of encouragement from your coach, how did that affect you the rest of your life? Well, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be just like him. Uh, he uh, sold into our lives other than on the football field, and I wanted to go and get my degree in education and be a teacher and a coach just like uh, him and treat the players just like he treated us. Now, growing up, did you grow up in the church? I grew up in the church, Methodist church, um, and we had to go to church every Sunday. And I was, you know, sometimes you get tired of going to church. You know, you get half sleeping when you get there and you, you, you about to wake up about half the service over. But my mother, it made it, um, we had to go. She said, you had to go. And I asked her one day, I said, well, we're going to church. Somebody said, are you going to Sunday? She said, no, but you are. <laughs> but uh, it was great because I, I think uh, it uh, planted some seeds of, um, 
of God's word in my heart and, and uh, a fear and respect of God. But you didn't really get to know Christ uh, until uh, uh, your rookie year. So tell a little bit about the story you shared last night, how you, you, went to, uh, you, know, you went to South Carolina State and things went well for you, and then how you came to Steelers, and it didn't start out like you thought it was going to. Yeah, you know, I was, I was the captain of the, the baseball, football, and basketball team and the track team in, in high school. And then when I got to college, I was the uh, captain of the baseball and football team. Uh, I made All-American, and I thought it was hot stuff. And then uh, the draft came around, and they had, back in the early 70s, they had 17 rounds, and I wasn't picked in any one of those rounds. Um, and I ended up going to Pittsburgh as an undrafted free agent um, and came in and, uh, and worked hard and um, uh, had faith and confidence I was going to make the team and end up uh, – been one of 13 rookies in uh, my rookie year, 1974, to make that team. And uh, the season went along. We was kind of up and down that year. Uh, we win one, lose, win two, win one, win two, win, lose one. We was kind of inconsistent until about the midway of the season. And we ended up with a pretty good uh, record, and we got in the playoffs. We ended up playing Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills, in the first round. And we beat them and uh, held O.J. Simpson to 40 yards rushing. I remember that. And we was headed out to the West Coast to play the big, bad Oakland Raiders for the AFC Championship game in 1974. And I remember going out on the plane. You know how you think about your career and you're kind of reminiscing? And I said, mm, boy, I tell you, I've come a long way. Family of nine brothers and sisters and scholarship and, you know, undrafted rookie. And yeah, I made the National Football League and finished school playing two sports and had my degree and playing in the NFL. And I'm literally touched. I'm landing in the bed in Oakland. And I'm miserable. And I can't think why am I miserable. How can a man have finished his degree, finished his college degree, came as an undrafted free agent, and now you're playing in the National Football League, and you go tomorrow, the next day, we're going to play an AFC Championship game. We beat them. We're going to be in the Super Bowl. How can a man be miserable? And I was totally miserable. Mm. I couldn't sleep, so I went downstairs. And you know how you're burdened, and you, um, you meet the first guy you met, that first guy I met. In the lobby in the of lo the hotel. It, yeah, in the lobby yeah. of the hotel. I it was, was before curfew, though. Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, don't break the rules. <laughs> and, and I shared that story with him. He said, oh, yeah, oh, I got the answer. He said, yeah, I can tell you why. He said, Don, there's nothing wrong with having a college education. There's nothing wrong with playing in the National Football League and making good money. But through all your efforts, you're trying to reach up to God, and you can't. I said, why? Because he's holy and you're unholy. I said, well... I said, well, I'm doomed. That's no hope for me. He said, yes, it is. He said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that if you're accepting in your life, you have that peace that you're looking for. And touch, I did. I did that night. I accepted Jesus Christ into my life, and that peace never left me that I was looking for and all those things. Wow. So how about this? Imagine this. All right. Um, you know, a lot of people pray for divine appointments. If you're a follower of Christ and you don't pray for divine appointments, start. I would just encourage you because God will put people in your life. So imagine this. Donnie Shell, the night before the AFC Championship game. I wouldn't even gone out of my room the night before the <laughs> AFC Championship game. He goes down to the lobby, and the first guy he sees, he says, man, I, I, man I'm just... I'm miserable. How come I'm miserable? And I, how crazy is that? Yeah. And, and then the next day I ended up, I went to chapel and found out he was the chaplain. He was, was going to do the Bible, the chapel service. 
And I asked him, I asked him that question. I said, well, Paul, Paul Eshelman, uh, I said, Paul, how did, how, did, how did we meet? He said, I pray for divine intervention every day. Down there, I may share Jesus Christ with someone or be of help and encouragement. So I kind of adopted that. I, from that day on, I put that in my prayer list. And uh-huh. every day I meet somebody yeah. uh, to be encouraged or to share the gospel with. Wow, isn't that cool? You know, I was thinking about this last night. Um, because in, in, in Isaiah, God reminds us that his word goes out and does not return void. So every time we share with somebody, how cool is this? Uh, it will accomplish God's purposes. We may not see it, but uh, it is going to accomplish God's purposes. I mean, to be part of, how cool is it knowing that you have had such an impact on so many men and that your sharing of the word came from Paul's encouraging you and it's just like hand, handed down from generation to generation. Well, his, his story, when I asked him about that, had a great impact upon me. And that, uh, like you just said, I start praying that way. And, and every day I, I meet someone I can encourage or share the gospel with or to help someone. Uh, I remember I was going to, um, um, to, to one of our doctors and uh, I met an elderly couple. And it had snowed and sleeted. And it was coming out. And he was just had ice down there and salt. And he was scared he was going to fall. So I just grabbed this arm and kind of helped him down with his wife and he got down he said I, I appreciate that so it may not be um uh, sharing the gospel maybe just encouraging or encouraging somebody during the day but uh but God is alive and, and he's well and um one thing I like to share uh, uh, uh with, with the the people he, uh, here today that that God loves you and God thinks about you every day where you saved or not saved and I'm pinching from Psalm 139. And he knows about you. He knows all about you. And he thinks about you every day. And the thoughts that he thinks about you, if they can be recounted, they can't be renumbered. So when you're down and out knowing that God, God loves you, if you have a relationship with him, yeah, you know about that. If you don't have a relationship with him, you know, God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. But God loves you. He created you. And no one else has your DNA. You're all gifted in here. No one has your DNA. We all are different. We all got different gifts and talents, but always remember that God loves you. If you don't have a relationship with him, he won't do to have a relationship with him. So he can use your gifts and talents so you can have an impact uh, not only in your family life, in your life, but also in someone else's life. You know, as, as you shared, uh, um, and, and you shared this, I've heard you share this many times through our years of friendship and, and doing ministry together, you said, no one had told me how to get saved before. No one told me. I, I, I don't know. I, I, how do I get saved? Yeah, I, I didn't. And, and, and back, I had the, went to church, but not a lot of teaching back in the early 60s and 70s when I came up. And, and then for someone that I didn't know, I'm 25 miles, 100 miles away from Pittsburgh, and someone come up to me and just shared the plain gospel that you, God is holy you are unholy, and you can't reach up to him. But he, for God so loved the world, he came and he sent Jesus and he bridged that gap. If you step into your life, then you, you're saved. That's, amazing. That's, that's just a plain gospel. And you, know, and you can do it anywhere at any time because of what Jesus did on the cross. He suffered and died and was buried, but that's not the end of the story. And he was raised on the third day. And he ever lived 
at the hand of, uh, of God, at the right hand of God, and also lives in our lives of those who know, know him. Yeah, isn't that cool? You know, it's funny because, uh, and amen to that, brother. Uh, Mike Tomlin always says the standard is the standard. And, and to, to Donnie said, you know, when I was a Muslim, I was trying to, you know, at times I was trying to work my way to God. But his standard is unattainable. And so the, the word reminds us, the Bible reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. So we're all sinners. We're all born into sin. All of us, every one of us. And we all fall short of the standard that is the standard. Uh, and the, the penalty for that sin in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin, in other words, what you get, what you earn, is actually eternal separation from God. But the good news is that Jesus... Uh, gives us the gift of eternal life, and that is in his son. So when Christ hung on the cross, he paid the price for your sin and mine for eternity past and eternity, uh, eternity future. And, and, and I, I'm like thinking to myself, when I first heard that, you, see, you made a great uh, point last night. You said you were in real estate, and you know what? I know a good deal when I see it. I say, <laughs> give it to me. I, I need it. Yeah, and, and, and you, know, well, the, the, you know what, Donnie? The thing that impressed me most about you when I first met you was when you talked about God, I never realized you could have a relationship with God, and yet you had a relationship with God. I never knew, you know, you guys loved each other, loved Christ, and loved me. You know, and, and, and Jesus said this to his, disciple, to, to his disciples, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you would love one another. Now, you went from a guy that was trying to fill that heart-shaped void with Super Bowls and whatever to a guy who used the football field and the locker room and the practice field and the practice facility as uh, a mission field. Talk about how you changed from that day forward. Well, I, be I began to grow. We had a, uh, Hollis Half was our Bible study um, leader at that time, excellent teacher, excellent teacher. If you got a chance to go to a Bible study and, and you got great teachers, uh, especially the men, all people, but especially the men I'm talking to, Man, go, go. This guy taught us, and he did what Jesus did to his disciples. He mentored us. Um, and uh, you never know uh, how God's going to use that. And then years later, here I am uh, over a campus ministry down at John C. Smith University in Charlotte, North Carolina, from the teaching that I received from a Bible study teacher, Hollis Ave, back in the early 70s. So you never know how God's going to use, uh, use that. But more importantly, I begin to grow and begin to read and begin to study God's word. And you got to grow and, and, and you read. You come, you come to church, you know, you can't forsake the same of the brethren. But more importantly, it's that individual study and quiet time you spend with God. I begin to spend quiet time with God individually, start reading, start studying, and, and, and for myself. You know, you could come to church, you listen to, to us who are ministers and these ministers, but that's not enough. You have to do something on your own and go into Bible study, but yet when you get in that and start digging and start studying, I like, I just like the history of the Bible and especially the Old Testament stories. And you start seeing those stories, how they relate to your life. And it's, it's very interesting. And it is God's word. And you've heard Ron say this uh, out of the pulpit. It is his love letters to us. And, that, you know, we used to come to camp every year. And there'd be a thick old playbook, right? <laughs> thick old playbook. And we'd, carry, and that, we'd value that thing, man. We, you know, if you lost it, it was a fine. You were scared to death to not have that playbook. And yet God has a playbook. 
And, uh, you know, in that playbook of the Steelers, everything we need to know about the steel, everything we need to know about playing our position, about the opponents we were playing, about the rules in the NFL, the rules in the Pittsburgh Steelers were, were in that book. And God has a book, and you, you get your word here, right here, the sword of the spirit. And it is alive and it is active and it is yes. sharper than two, any two-edged sword. And it is the inspired word of God. And, uh, and, man, we need to devour that like we devour our playbook or any other book. Yeah, yeah I like to say this, too. And studying God's word is just like playing football. You've got to make a commitment. I mean, God can do miraculous things, but I, I don't think he's going to do it when, uh, about studying. You got, you got to make a commitment. It's just like being in school. You got to make a commitment. It's like being, I want to be the best, strong safety in the National Football League. I'm, I, had to make, I had to make a commitment. You know, when I first got in the National Football League, I couldn't catch the football. Not because I couldn't catch it, no one taught me. And now, as Tun said, uh, I set a record and it still hadn't been broken with 51 interceptions. But you got to make a commitment. You got to make your liabilities your assets. God made everybody different and, and with different infirmities. We all got issues. And we said up here, we ministry, but we, we got, we're not perfect. We all got things we can work on. And that's why I said in Psalm 139 that he loves us anyway, just the way we are. But God's not satisfied the way we are, where I am, the way you are, wherever you are, where you're saved or not saved. He's not satisfied with us in that position. He wants to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ so we can reflect the image of God so we can draw others to Jesus Christ. That's what he's interested in. Not necessarily to, to, to make us happy. You know, we've got to come out of our comfort zone. And if you want to be great in the sight of God, when you come out of your comfort zone, he's right there to meet you with grace and mercy. Tony Evans has a great quote. He said, because uh, a lot of times guys go, well, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm not, I don't know if I'm equipped well, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And, and you know, when, when I first realized that the God who created the universe not only loved me, hung on a cross for me, and lives in me, but he also wants me part of uh, kingdom work. He wants me, he's got a plan for me. We, you and I were talking about this last night, that God always has much more for us yes. in his plans than we, than we think or that we want to acknowledge. And, 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 and you talked about, about getting out of your comfort zone, and, and you did that as a teammate. Man, you were discipling and, and, and pushing and, and, and sharing. And, man, what a blessing that is. Yeah, it's like to encourage others. And others encouraged me, and that's what we did um, we didn't have the player development program that they have now in the NFL, so the veteran guys took that show on. They took you on their wing and they mentored you and they showed you, taught you the nuances of the National Football League and where to go shop and where to buy this and where to, uh, to do that and who to hang around. Uh, but they sold into my life, and that's what that was the way of the that's the Steelers' way. Uh, and for that, when young guys came in, uh, I was passed down. The torch was passed to me. And I wanted to sow into others' lives as well. You know, it's funny that, um, you know, uh, uh, Donnie just shared it. You know, whether you're at this campus or one of the other campuses, there is something for you. Whether you're a man, a woman, a teen, uh, or, or a child, single, or, or a couple, young or old, there is something here for you. There is an opportunity to lock arms with other men and women and draw closer. Because, you know... Uh, 
we learn this in the word that Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so shall one man sharpen another or shall one woman sharpen another. We are called to encourage and challenge one another. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, when he called the disciples, he said, follow me, I will teach you to be fishers of men. And, you know, there is so much happening in all of our campuses. You know, I think of this campus, and we have, literally, we have a Bible study for men every day of the week. Every day of the week. Every day of the week. And we got huddles, and we've got mentor programs in the church. And, and man, all you got to do is, is, is say yes and, and, and get out of your comfort zone. And I know that you had a, you and Tony Dungy, you, he was your mentee. You know, the, the word reminds us that we, should, uh, that we should be a Barnabas, an encourager to everybody, that we should find a Paul, a mentor, and develop a, a Timothy, a mentee. So talk about your relationship with Tony and, and, and how you mentored him. Yeah, it, it just came out of the uh, relationship uh, with the Steelers and the way they did things. Um, they, they placed the, the veteran guy with the rookie guys when they came in to help them uh, get adjusted and acclimated to being in the National Football League. I think that's, that was very unique back in the early 70s. And um, my third year, I drew Tony Dungy. I said, well, who's this guy? I don't I got a funny last name. He's not Dungy. But he, he was All-American quarterback at the University of Minnesota, but he was undrafted free agent like I was, so he switched him to safety. So Bill Nunn was the scout then. I think he's passed now. He put him, he said, Donnie, you and Tony, I want you guys to, I said, yeah. oh, okay, uh, I'll do it. And uh, we were roommates together, and, and um, this guy, he was a very intelligent guy. He just looking at them and things, and I, I went to lunch, and had the morning practice, I was coming back, and, and the veteran guys, I knew all the stuff. I said, man, I just want to get my rest, and this guy just kept running the projector, and he woke me up. I said, Dungy, turn that projector off. He said, I got to get one more look, man, one more look. I said, you must be want to be a coach. He said, yeah, that's what I want to do. And he had a great uh, camp. Uh, very smart, very intelligent, caught on things very quickly, and he was moving up the chart. And all of a sudden, he got mononucleosis, and he couldn't practice. And for a rookie, you're done. You miss reps, it's just like missing two days. You miss one day, it's like missing two. So he was fretful that he was not going to make the team. And I saw that, and I, I, said, well, I said, well, Tony, I said, I know you want to be a coach, but could it be that you put in football before God? And he thought about it and he said I never thought about that Donnie you know, then the next morning he said you know Donnie I, I thought about what you said he said you maybe I am and, and I think he uh, has a book out called Quiet Strength he mentioned that story in there yeah. that he from then on began to put Christ first and him the center of his life you know you, uh, you've had the opportunity to mentor men in the, in, on, on your as teammates and then you started, you started the player programs uh, uh, down with the Carolina Panthers, and for 15 years you continued uh, that, and you've continued that uh, now. Um, talk about the blessing that that is, that is and the way, uh, you know, when you see guys from the past and, and how that impacts you. It, it, it's a great blessing. Um, all I did was did what, the, what Pittsburgh did to me when I first got here, and that the Berlin took, took me under their wings. So I uh, developed that program with the Carolina Panthers. I was director of player programs, coordinating all programs for their life then, now, and their life after sports. Uh, continued education, internships, 
uh, you name it. And we created a lot of other programs. But all I was doing was I saw the program here when I was with the Steelers, and I just developed it further and was matching guys up with rookies down there uh, with Carolina. And when a rookie come in, I, I said, okay, I, I saw Mike Merrill, he was a safety. I said, you with this guy. He said, oh, okay, shit, I know what you're talking about. I said, yeah, you got to take him to lunch. You got to take him to talk to him and, and help him out and mentor him. But, it, but it's, um, it's amazing uh, what, God, uh, use, how God, what God uses in our lives. And uh, they didn't have that type of program with the Carolina Panthers, so I began to develop that program down there, and guys loved it. They loved sowing into other guys' lives. They loved seeing guys develop and, and grow uh, and, be, uh, and become mature uh, in their growth as an athlete and also mature uh, spiritually uh, on both sides. Of the, both sides worked both ways. So it, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a great blessing, Tunch. Well, Donnie, thank you for your ministry. Um, you know, maybe... Maybe God is tugging at your heartstrings today. Maybe you're someone who doesn't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're someone that is standing out there or sitting out there and thinking, man, I, like Donnie said, I don't know how to be saved. Well, as Donnie shared to you, and God loves us and he hung on a cross for us. And it is his desire that all shall come to faith and that none shall perish. That's what his, his desire is. And it is a matter of the heart. Uh, Solomon, the uh, book of Proverbs, says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And you saw uh, Donnie in a period of his life where he couldn't fill the hole in his heart. Blaise Pascal says that there's a God-shaped void in the heart of every man, woman, and child that can only be filled by the person of Jesus Christ. And you heard Tony who, who put idols, success in front of God, and, and God is competing for the number one position in our heart. And so, uh, you know, Kirk is going to come out here, and he's going to play a song, and if God is tugging on your heart today, we're going to just listen to the words of the song, and then we're going to close in a word of prayer. And maybe you're someone like that, who God is saying, I want you. I love you dearly. And uh, the word reminds us that today, if you hear his voice, do not harden his voice. Do not harden your heart. And he also says this, today is the day of salvation. So if God is tugging on your heart today, as you hear the words of the song, we're going to give you a chance to respond to that tugging. And, and don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. You know, 35 years ago, at that that little voice that kept tugging at my heart was, was pestering me, and I, I kept putting it away. And Craig Wolfley said to me one time when he said, would you like to pray to receive Christ? I said, no, let me think about it. He goes, well, don't wait too long. I'd hate for you to die before you had that opportunity. Amen. I went Amen. on. So as you just let the, the words of this song wash over you. Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame But wholly trust in Jesus 